0: Welcome to Part 11 of 20 Years On, the series where we chart the changes in Hong Kong life since July the 1st, 1997. I'm Anna Fenton, and this week I explore the idea of Hong Kong identity and how events of the past two decades have changed how we feel about this city and ourselves. First, we hear from psychiatrist Dr. Willie Wong Chung-Hin, who explained how mental health has deteriorated as anxiety and depression mount in response to a growing sense of hopelessness. Often caused by education pressure and the acute housing shortage.
1: I think uh, Hong Kong people know know that uh, we are now part of uh, China. And uh, however, in the past few years, I have seen a lot of uh, uh, clients coming to me complaining of different uh, issues, uh, like uh, housing issues, uh, the education system problem. Uh, and also uh, they sometimes complained about the political environment. And I see a lot of people uh, getting dissatisfied with the political environment nowadays, especially the younger generation. And uh, we could see a lot of um, news uh, on this issue and a lot of demonstration in the street uh, in recent years. And all this show that um, our living place is not uh, as peaceful as we expected um, 20 years ago. Do
0: you think people are disappointed with the way things have turned out?
1: uh yes, I think so um and um uh, and also this leads to a lot of uh, psychological issues as well and um, in my job, I saw a lot of clients presenting with different kinds of emotional uh, problems um, We can divide into uh two groups uh one of these uh the parents uh, nowadays we see that um, um the parents perceive a lot of competition uh, in looking for schools especially uh, in recent years a lot of people have um, come to hong kong uh, for uh, for a living and um, from mainland from mainland china so um, they find it very uh, they they find this is a big competition in looking for a, a, a school so the parents beca- became very nervous and they, um, in a way, they put a lot of pressure on their children. And um, because they worry about their, their, their ability to, to um, compete for a good school, mm-hmm. and in this way, uh, the children and the students feel a lot of uh, pressure. And I once encountered a seven-year-old child who uh, was a primary uh, two uh, student uh, told me that uh, he disliked the educational system in Hong Kong. And I was quite shocked about his comment, uh, especially in his age. And um, we started to dislike um, attending school in the very beginning. Uh, of his uh, education uh, journey, and so I could see nowadays uh, not only the parents but also the students uh, got frustrated about the education system and also the uh, the environment in in Hong Kong, and um, I think this might partly explain the 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 scenario of uh, student suicide in the past years. Um this is one issue another issue is uh, that we saw uh in a lot of people uh have uh developed anxiety and depression um in recent years uh some of these are related to uh, some stressors of course some of these uh uh are not uh, explained by any stressor, but uh, in Hong Kong now uh, anxiety uh, has b- uh, been the most common uh, psychiatric problem
0: uh,
1: in Hong Kong. is this and a
0: fear of the future do
1: uh, you think? yes we are um, we are seeing an increasing number of these cases uh, this could be reflected by the increasing number of um, of the uh, new cases in the public uh, psychiatric service
0: have you seen a big increase
1: Uh, it has been increasing Mm. yes and also if the anxiety um, problem remains untreated it may progress to uh, a depressive illness and anxiety um is a relatively mild illness but uh Many people neglect this, and they think that they might be able to cope with uh, anxiety disorder. So they, um, will not, uh, they may not seek help uh, straight away when they develop anxiety symptoms. However, um, um, the, they, they sometimes go to seek help uh, when this uh, condition becomes severe. And um, I encountered a case, uh, a client, a man who has been having anxiety for more than 30 years before uh, he he sought help uh, from me uh, for the first time uh, some days ago. So uh, I think um, the awareness uh, of psychiatric illnesses uh, um, um, is not as satisfactory as I expect. So I think um, more public education should be should be done to increase the awareness. And also, depression remains and, uh, uh, is also uh, depression is also an, another common psychiatric problem in Hong Kong. Uh, not to mention insomnia, which is a very common symptom among uh, Hong Kong citizens.
0: What's the cause of that? Do you think?
1: Um, There are many causes. Uh, Sometimes uh, insomnia stands alone. And sometimes it belongs to um, a symptom of uh, psychiatric problem. And um, there are many causes. And one of these uh, is uh, uh, work stress and also uh, other um, life stresses. And in Hong Kong, um, people are very hard working and usually the work hours are quite long and i have some clients uh telling me that they even need to have overtime work during the weekends uh saturday and sunday and that makes uh the work life uh, balance disrupted and um i think this might be uh, a factor contributing to insomnia and also in hong kong uh people uh uh, sometimes um, will manifest the uh, psychological symptoms as some physical symptoms uh, w- and what we call somatic symptoms. Like uh,
0: backaches, and like headaches? Like pain, uh,
1: headache, uh, back pain or um, dizziness or um, different kinds of um, discomfort which cannot be easily explained by an, or, uh, an organic uh, problem.
0: But this is all part of their general unhappiness and, and the consequences yes. of stress.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, um, they usually uh, seek help from many doctors, uh, like a, a family doctor, orthopedic surgeon, or um, different specialties. Uh, however, no cost could be identified. And the, finally, the f- yeah. they, they, they came to a psychiatrist. So the
0: problem is in their head?
1: Yes, yes, that uh, disease of the mind instead mm-hmm. of a disease of their body. And I think all these uh, might be um, uh, caused by different kinds of stresses in their life.
0: And that's all linked in with the political situation?
1: Uh, I think um, one of uh, the factors is the political environment. And there are other factors as well, like uh, what I mentioned, the housing, uh, the housing costs. And nowadays um the uh, the price of the housing is uh sky high, and um, a lot of young generation could not afford to buy a flat and sometimes um, they need to ask their parents to help them to pay the mortgage and also uh, some people uh, chose to um, rent a flat and uh, of course, the rental fee is also high at the moment. And another um, another problem is uh, the relationship problem. Uh, as we know, Hong Kong is a very crowded um, place and uh, we uh, sometimes see that uh, uh, in some family, um, a lot of people live in a very crowded and small flat and the the lack of personal space uh, may cause increased contact uh, time and also uh, this may lead to um, increased chance of conflict as well. Mm. And so I think um, the personal space is important. But in Hong Kong, uh, the crowded environment um, does not allow um, this to happen. And so I think uh, the housing issue and the, uh, and, and the uh, crowded living environment is a very important factor
0: that was psychiatrist dr willie wong chung hin next i headed to the university of hong kong to hear how two 30-somethings journalist christy Choi, and student counselor kevin Lau, feel about their changing
2: lives i am a journalist i've been based in hong kong for since i was a little girl basically and so almost 30 years now um originally from korea yes Okay. And Kevin?
3: Uh, um, I'm Kevin. I work at the University of Hong Kong. I help students with their careers and and things like that. Um, I'm 36. I've spent half my life in Los Angeles and half my life in Hong Kong.
0: So you two have an interesting perspective on how things have changed, both for local kids and expatriate kids, since 97. Tell me about language, because you guys both speak English very fluently. And, Christy, your Cantonese is, how would you say? passable? Okay. And Kevin?
3: I can come across as a native if I hide my accent.
0: Okay. So, how do you find, uh, I believe there's a bit of a divide now between local kids who speak English and local kids who don't?
3: So, and what we both realize now that we're old enough to realize is that um, we see English basically become an identity divide between people who have access and people who don't have access. Um, and it also kind of represents the sort of social economic divide as well people who speak English or can come across speaking native English, uh, generally can have access to more things, um, sometimes can move faster into the upper class, and then those who don't just don't have a lot of access, and um, Christy and I both having background being able to speak English as a native person, we now see this now that we're old enough to do.
0: So Christy, I think it's true that maybe you'd use English if you want to get somebody's attention more than... uh
2: more it's than actually, even, even in reporting, it, it's curious because sometimes I used to think that it was a little, uh, quite a disadvantage when I was, when I liked Cantonese. But the thing is, later on, you can pull aside the officials, you can pull aside all these people. And when you speak to them in English, they'll give you more time a day. And what do you put that down to? You know, it's really hard to say, but it could be that, you know, it's a colonial hangover. Interesting. And uh, and within your
0: families, do they still speak mostly Cantonese or would they speak English as well?
3: So my family, um, half of them speak English, half of them speak Cantonese. Um, So that's why I kind of see both sides of um, what I get away with when I speak English and what I I don't get away with when I speak only Cantonese. Um, And and so if I speak uh, English over the phone, I know I can probably get certain things done faster. Um, and if I say in Cantonese, I'll probably have a longer fight ahead if I'm talking. If I'm just trying to get customer service over the phone.
0: <laughs> right. Now, Christy, in terms of identity, mm. how do you think it's changed in the in the way of the way Hong Kong people saw themselves in, in handover year nineteen ninety seven to how they see themselves now? Do they see themselves as still Hong Kong, little island, or Hong Kong part of the giant motherland?
2: Well, I always felt like Hong Kong people had a very global view of things when I was growing up, that most people around me had this idea that they would go abroad, come back, or had all this opportunity ahead of them. But in sort of the reporting that I've done over the last few years, I feel like that sense of opportunity and potential and is not quite there anymore. Um, partially, one of the things that I spoke to with a friend who does hiring for a multinational company, he works for a private equity firm. He was making the point that it's extremely hard for especially local kids um, to find employment because partially of the language and cultural barriers. Especially if he was making the point that if they wanted to work on the mainland, they often their Mandarin wouldn't be as up to scratch as, Mm. say, someone from the mainland. Their English also isn't as good oftentimes. And these um, students that have come through often also speak Cantonese especially if they're from Guangdong province. of course. And so how do you compete with something like that? And they already have full access to the culture. They've grown up in it. Hong Kong people, the reality is the culture is actually extremely different. Mm. And they find it hard to adjust to the way of doing business on mainland China. And so my friend made this point. If they don't go out there or if they don't go um, abroad to get experience with a multinational company in dealing with people from all over the world, it, it's very hard for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Kevin, I believe we now have some fake ABCs that people are pretending that they got education
3: overseas. Yeah, so there's this term that's been going around the last few years. In Cantonese, they say like, ABC, but basically it's fake ABCs. Um, and if, if people scrounge around the, sort of the local sort of social media and they see this is an ongoing joke that they'll even laugh at some of the sort of, pop stars that they might say words in Cantonese, but they'll add a well, low at the end to pretend that they don't speak uh, Cantonese natively. Um, and it's, it's, it's been an ongoing joke, and it's, you can kind of see this language issue kind of basically feeding into all a- aspects of it now around what English means. Is it privilege or not?
0: Okay, so do you think there's an appetite among your
2: students to, to speak in English and use it? They all have to. That's the thing. The, the the curriculum here is based on English. So in terms of our identity as as a place, do you think that has changed? And in what way? It's interesting. Kevin and I were actually talking about this a little bit earlier as well. But um, I don't know if we thought about it so much when we were younger as, like, an identity. We It was... But I don't know if it's because when you're a child, you don't think about these things very much. You just accept the identity that you're handed. And... In that case, we all knew that Hong Kong was a British colony. you know it had this funny history, it had belonged to China at one point, but it had still already been what 150 years of British rule. Mm. Um, so you didn't know any different. And then, when you know things changed around, me being well, back then an outsider, we didn't know if we were going to stay longer than we did, but we, we ended up being becoming locals in a sense. Um, you don't pay as much attention to it because you always think that you are the outsider. Yes. Yeah. But when you realize that actually this is the place that you've spent most of your life, that you are part of the the fabric of the place as well, of course a small part of it, that's when you start becoming more acutely aware of what it might mean to be a local, you know. And these are the discussions that are currently happening, (laughs) not just here though, globally. You know, whether you're in London or New York or San Francisco, a lot of people are pretty global nowadays. And also, a lot of people are immigrants, or you know, have complicated life histories and families.
0: So, do you think we're just all a bit hung up on this identity and jingoistic stuff?
3: You know, I, I don't think the identity thing will go away. And I, and I think it's, if, if I if I look at my students, or as well as sort of things I've seen in the past, I I, I remember clearly. In, during the Hanover, I remember standing on, on and actually seeing when the uh, police officers changed their badge, there was people were kind of rooting. I was like, oh, wait. it's, it's So there's an identity to that. But I remember clearly in 2008 when Beijing, how was people in Hong Kong maybe felt more Chinese at that time. And then if we ask people now, and I'm sure many will say differently, so I think this whole identity thing, is we have no choice but to talk about it.
0: That was student counsellor Kevin Lau and journalist Christy Choi. Finally, I caught up with Dr. Mark Gandolfi, who has run the St. John's Counselling Service for many years. He explained how attitudes to mental health have changed.
4: People in Hong Kong are becoming a lot more comfortable in seeking counselling, not only because of the fact that they see the value in it, not only because of the fact that they are also, if you will, becoming a lot more open and honest with themselves about the challenges that Hong Kong is going through. But they're also hearing from others in the community at large, family, friends, co-workers, that counselling and mental health is a good thing.
0: So no longer such a stigma.
4: That's correct, yeah. And, you know, a good point to take a look at is in, you know, when the handover occurred in Hong Kong, you know, I saw a couple things going on that was quite similar both in the local and the expat community. There was a lot of, if you will, anxiety, anticipation anxiety of what's going to happen to Hong Kong in the future. Is Hong Kong going to become just another Chinese city, whatever that really means? Mm. Or is Hong Kong still going to maintain a very unique identity? You know, as when people talk about Hong Kong, it brings up many emotions and images for those who are local and expat who have either lived here or visited so that's always been an area of concern that people have had since the mid-1990s. The other thing that we're also seeing besides the identity of Hong Kong, and that is you know, how our lifestyle is changing now in Hong Kong. Right. And sometimes that lifestyle is a, a direct impact because of the new laws that we have with the basic law. Mm. And sometimes that causes a bit of ambivalence. Where are we going with respect to freedom of press Am I going to have to be very careful about what I say, uh, not only in private but also in public? There's that. But more importantly, people are taking a look at policies around housing,
0: Mm.
4: policies around education, and how that's going to affect our children and our children's children. So we have growing concerns in that area, growing concerns we have with those that are graduating from universities now that we see, especially both in local but more importantly Um, in, in those students who come here and want to stay in Hong Kong? Are they going to be able to find employment where they earn enough money to buy a home? And so owning a home is still a universal as well as a Hong Kong element that people see that they're successful, that they've achieved something. And there's growing anxiety, especially in the local communities, because depending on who you care to quote, 55%-plus of local Hong Kong residents can't afford to buy a home. That's quite anxiety-provoking.
0: Mm. Now, what effect would this have on their future plans to stay in Hong Kong? Would they be looking at immigration? I, I hear Taipei and Taiwan is very popular but very hard to get into.
4: Mm. Well, we've always had a very interesting, um, if you will, historical view on you know how people immigrate. Um, it's always been around, if you will, going from good to better. Whether one has left Europe to go to the United States, you know, when the United States became a country of its own, whether it's those who have gone from uh, Hong Kong to Canada or Australia, whether those who have uh, lived and been raised in the U.K. and then go overseas to improve upon themselves. Immigration has always been a historical and a universal phenomenon. But nowadays, we also take a look at it from a brain drain perspective. Mm. That if we have, if you will, the bright young people that are graduating from the universities, and if they're not seeing opportunities in the local community, and they would prefer to stay in the local community, but we have nothing to offer them, then that is a type of immigration that I think would make all of us quite nervous and anxious in Hong Kong. And we're seeing growing numbers of that.
0: At what level? Just university graduates or uh, well-paid expatriate bankers who are are finding refuge elsewhere?
4: Mm -hmm. Yes, we do see from time to time an adjustment in certain sectors of employment, whether it's the financial banking, whether it's in academia, whether it's in research, manufacturing, et cetera. There's always going to be ebb and flows of employment, if you will. Um, so we're always going to have those issues of sometimes the expat community is not going to see, if you will, a growing job place market, and we might even have, if I can use the term again, a brain drain of the expats that actually add value and, if you will, very, very different, if you will, ways of doing things in Hong Kong that we all benefit from. Okay. The other area that we have concern around um, with the expats and the locals combined is probably 20 to 25 percent of, of those who've gone out to universities, gotten a bachelor's or a master's or a doctor degree, many years later they're taking a look at going back to school again. Hmm. And this is another area that I think Hong Kong has a very wonderful opportunity to take a look at, but makes people, if you will, sometimes anxious. And that is, if I'm an adult and I want to go back in my 30s and 40s and get another degree, is Hong Kong the place to do that? Yes. Or should I go overseas because I don't have a degree program here that I can enter into because it's not being taught in Cantonese or Mandarin or English. So another source of, if you will, sometimes migration.
0: mm Mm. So in terms of what people walk in the door now with with their issues, what, what are you seeing the majority of now?
4: Mm. Well, it's no surprise, is it, that uh, what we see in the press from time to time with children and teenagers is around um, what we call academic performance and the stress and the strain and sometimes the very sad and unfortunate stories. Children who do self-harm and sometimes, if you will, Die by way of suicide.
0: Why do we have so much of that here?
4: Um, that's a very, very complicated, uh, if you will, question as well as an answer. Um, part of it is going to be family dynamics. Part of it is going to be, if you will, lifestyle and quality of life. Space, for example, sometimes it's quite hard for a child to study uh, in a three hundred square foot home. Mm. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be realistic and or unrealistic expectations put on a child with respect to the school and the grades or the parents and the grades that they'd like to see. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be a bit of status anxiety. Children are comparing themselves to other children with their grades. Sometimes it's anticipation anxiety. Children are worried that if they don't get a certain grade, they won't get into the school of choice that they want in secondary or in university studies. So we have, if you will, those issues with children and teenagers coming in, pretty much what I call around academic angst.
0: Mm. And for older people?
4: For older people, um, I think, Anna, this is, uh, again, uh, a concerning area that's not a surprise. We see two dynamics going on in large numbers. One is, if you will, marriage. Mm. Um, whether you know the divorce rate is going up or whether, if you will, the number of marriages are going down, Still, at the end of the day, what we do see in growing numbers every year, and I've been in Hong Kong and, and in the profession in Hong Kong for over 22 years, we are seeing more and more unhappy marriages coming through the door. Now, how we end up taking a look at that can be a very complicated view. One would be how many of these couples actually spend time, money, and effort on premarital counseling. Mm. I don't think we do enough of that in Hong Kong to you know, educate adults that before they get married, they spend a bit of time in premarital counseling. The second is that we should also be encouraging couples, even if they're having a happy marriage, may I say it, come in for a bit of a marriage tune-up. And sometimes we're not seeing that. So as a result of a lack of a premarital culture in counseling, and as well as a lack of a marriage tune-up culture here in Hong Kong, that contributes to, if you will, the rise of marital discord coming in. So it's a very complicated phenomenon, but we have to look at those two in the first instance. Then once we have those factors out of the way, then the next thing we take a look at, and this is something that people are now recognizing more and more, even though we do say the vows till death do us part, and we would very much like to spend you know the rest of our life with somebody that's called our husband or wife, this is uh, a very interesting variable that we're seeing in Hong Kong, and that is change.
0: That was Dr. Mark Gandolfi from St. John's Counselling Service. I'm Anna Fenton. Join me again next week for the final part of 20 Years On, when we examine the changes to the rule of law.